Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Let's talk about this bond market as well. If you're just tuning in, you have got a bond market with yield tire on tens by four basis points to about 148, just short of 150. Joining us now to discuss is Marilyn Watson, head of global fundamental fixed income strategy at BlackRock. Marilyn, let's start with Chairman Powell and work our way forward into this mm. bond market, treasuries into credit. Did you sense a big shift yesterday from the chairman? We did sense a shift. So I think particularly, obviously, at the end of last week, um, you know, we saw this very much a risk off tone with the new variant coming through and leading to, you know, a huge amount of uncertainty back in the markets. Um, And I think that led to, you know, investors being obviously a little bit more cautious going into Chair Powell and his testimony. And I do think it did surprise the markets a little bit. I mean, we, we have been saying for some time that we think, you know, the Fed really is in a position now where they can you know, accelerate the taper, where next year they can start to even, um, you know, maybe raise rates maybe two or even three times, depending on how this new variant uh, shapes out. But I think the market was caught a little bit off guard, just given the volatility that we've seen over the past few days with the negative news, you know, around COVID. But I think in terms of the overall trajectory of the market, that's where it had been heading. I think it was just surprising given the context um, of the, the past few days. The QE has been very important for signalling, signalling to mm. the broader economy and to financial markets as well. <laughs> Marilyn, I just wonder what an accelerated QE mm. taper would actually mean for this market. You, Rick Reader, Bob Miller have made the point repeatedly over the last several months that a lot of this would be cancelled out by the taper at the Treasury. But if we accelerate things, mm. does it have a bigger impact? Well, I think on the margin, it has a small impact. But the fact is that when they are still continuing to purchase assets, even as they wind down the amount that they hold, then you know they're still actually supporting and they're still providing very, very loose accommodative monetary policy. They're still continuing to buy assets. So even if they sort of accelerate this a little bit, we think that the level of accommodation at the moment is so high. And particularly, I think yesterday, we did start to hear a lot more caution from Chair Powell around just the very high levels of inflation that you know are potentially becoming more persistent. And I think that's a factor that the Fed are now starting to really include in the forward guidance. And I think maybe they're just starting to shift the tone a little bit as we do go into you know the, the FOMC meeting in a couple of weeks' time. I think it will be key for market participants to really see, you know, the the timing around the the QE tapering, but also the timing around any potential rate increase as well. So I think given the high levels of inflation that we've talked about a lot, given the fact that the tone has shifted around that it could be a bit more persistent than so far we've been hearing from the Fed, um, I do think it's important. One reason why perhaps Fed Chair Powell feels emboldened is because markets are letting Mm. him make these moves, make these signals without getting disrupted Mm. too much. And I take a look at credit, nothing like the taper Mm. tantrum going back to 2013, but still, nonetheless, you are seeing seeing money get withdrawn from the high yield debt market and slowly see yields creep higher, the worst performance for that debt mm. going back to September 2020. Is this a buying opportunity or a warning sign for what's to come? Um, I mean, I, I think potentially if you uh, exclude the current uncertainty around the new COVID variant, it could be a buying opportunity when you think that, of course, as you expect to see, you know, monetary policy normalize a little bit. Um, and we have seen, obviously, um, you know, 
the yield on treasuries increase. We've started to see uh, spreads widen. We are seeing now better opportunities and better valuations in higher quality credit. So we have seen some investors sort of go up the credit quality spectrum. We have also, um, when you're talking about high yield, we're continuing to see investors as well, um, still continuing to prefer the loan market in many cases, given the floating rate structure. So I think, again, as the market is put, you know, really starting to position itself for a little bit more normalization, although we're far from normal um, in this environment. And as we do see these you know, ongoing levels of inflation that are persisting through into next year, then I do think we do. We are seeing more dispersion also in the sectors uh, that are seeing you know, better prices, better valuations. So I think it's a buying opportunity, but I think also investors are being you know, particularly cautious as we go into year end. Liquidity isn't particularly great at the moment. And as we do have this you know, higher uncertainty, as we're discussing around the new COVID variant around, you know, potentially measures to, you know, limit restrictions on movement, etc. So yep. there's a lot of unknowns, but there could be potentially buying opportunities. What an end to the year. Marilyn, fantastic to catch up with you. Send our best to the team, as always. Marilyn Watson there <laughs> of you. BlackRock. Right now on Fixed Income, Bob Michael joins us here for a good conversation to say he's head of global fixed income currency commodities at JP, JP Morgan Asset Management barely describes the ability here. Do you buy the dip in bonds? I'm, I'm totally confused about what to do with full faith and credit or just credit right now. Do you clip the coupon? Do you buy it or do you just go to cash? Which is it? You sell government bonds and you buy credit. There's been a tremendous repricing. You've had a flattening of the yield curve. There's a lot of concern that the Fed is going to move too quickly for the market and will lead to recession. And that's ultimately why the curve has inverted. That's nonsense. They're miles away from anything that looks normal. And I think this is an opportunity to get rid of any remaining government bonds you have and then Go back into the credit markets. Go back into investment grade and high yield. You can do it in U.S. and you can do it in Europe. And those are the things that you're buying on sale. Bob, that word normal, what does that word mean anymore? Well, for me, who's been around for four decades, it means getting the central banks out of the market and leaving it to people like me to price. And there's a very different operating model than what we're used to from the central banks. Um, when I started in the business, the central banks extended credit to the banking system and they controlled the cost of funding. And then they relied on the banks to extend credit into the economy. Now they're controlling the cost of funding across the entire economy. It's gone too far. It's got to stop. And participants in the market, like myself, have to get involved again. Bob, that's a desire. Is it a forecast? What makes it a forecast? What makes it a forecast is Jay Powell yesterday. And Jay Powell saying, it's time for them to exit the market, which I think they're going to do. They should announce uh, that they're going to double the pace of, of tapering. So they should be out of the market by March. And then we should see rate hikes pretty soon after that. So they're going to start that journey to normal, and we're going to help them on that path. All right, you're going to help them on that path. So, uh, so uh, completely courageous of you. I do wonder though, when you say it's a buying opportunity for credit, particularly riskier credit, why this is a good entry point, given the fact that we are still so vastly below where we were before uh, the pandemic when it comes to yields. Why is this an opportunity at 4.8% uh, coupon on a junk bond? 
for a number of things. For one, uh, corporate profitability still remains very high. Companies have a lot of financial flexibility, and the companies we're talking to don't see any significant drop-off in aggregate final demand. So their top line is going to grow. They do see the input cost pressures, and they're starting to pass some of those along. And by the way, they've been raising dividends and buying back shares. They can dial that down a bit if they need to. But right now, we're looking at a consumer that's flush with cash, that's out there spending. Yeah, there may be some headwinds from the Omicron variant. We'll see over the next couple of weeks and couple of months. But for now, corporate profitability looks pretty good. I want to be a part of that. Bob, do you really think central bankers will ever get out of this market and let people like you truly price it? Or is there sort of an implicit put uh, that if things get volatile enough, they'll step right back in? Well, that's the debate. I start off by saying I'm, I'm used to one model, but when I look around our trading floor, um, a very large percentage of the people only know the current model, uh, which has existed since 2009, where central banks do intervene in all sectors of the bond market. Mm -hmm. So, no, I, I think it's a tool that they've learned to deploy. It's not going to go away mm -hmm. anytime soon, and, and they're going to have to gauge that with all the other tools uh, that they have. And yes, financial conditions indicators are one of the reasons that you buy dips in risk assets. As long as they look at those things, they're backstopping the markets. Bob Michael with us, J.P. Morgan here on radio and television. Bob, I'm not going to get you in trouble on China. Somebody else at J.P. Morgan had some challenges this week on China. But I am going to ask you about the Pacific Rim and about the great miss. Our David Wilson notices inequities, internationals failed. What do you do with international paper right now? I don't mean Turkey, but what do you do with the J.P. Morgan opportunity in international fixed income? You go for it. And we've had a lot of conversations about emerging markets, specifically emerging market equities, and how earnings for companies across Asia in particular have come in higher than anyone anticipated a year ago. The stocks have gone nowhere. They've even drifted down compared to the double-digit right. returns, returns in the <clears throat> developed markets. Next year is probably the year that stock prices catch up to earnings, but earnings are still going to look pretty good. So yes, we're also buying credit across APAC in China and across the emerging markets. Is Europe a piece of that as well, Bob? Um, yes, and, and, and in fact, um, we were looking over the last couple of days of going back into the European bank sector, uh, particularly uh, the alternative, the additional tier one secu securities and the lower tier two securities, so the bank hybrid securities. Um, so we do see some opportunities there as well. You're not afraid of some speculation, so let me finish with this question. What did you think of Chairman Powell making that move a week after securing renomination, Bob? Did that stand out to you at all? Well, the easiest path for him would have been to do nothing and coast through uh, the hearings on his reappointment and to suddenly start the tapering process, disrupt the, the markets, um, to me is, is taking some risk. What I want to know is what changed from Monday to Tuesday <laughs> and what's going to change today from yesterday. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Tom, it's been a month since they announced tapering, and now we're having a conversation. What's no. changed in a month? 
what for him to say, you know what, maybe we should accelerate things. What you see here is a grizzled pro like Bob Michael getting right down to the nitty gritty. What changed in 24 hours? And that's a whipsaw for people who are not in the game on this. John, we're all talking about the market action. We're forgetting about the losses earned and made over the last, say, 48 hours. Five days. I really wonder what the carnage is out there. So my final question to Bob Michael, Tom, is usually football related. So we'll keep it consistent and remain Not on that Alabama theme. and Georgia, right? Not Alabama, Georgia okay, this weekend. You. Bob, <clears throat> confidence levels, I want to understand from your perspective, tens back to two or another championship for Liverpool? Another championship for Liverpool. That tells you Off everything the charts, you need to know. They are a goal-scoring machine. Bob Michael at JP Morgan Asset Management. In the flesh. Bob, it's good to see you. Joining us now, not just on the global economy, but on the pandemic, Laurence Boone, the chief economist at the OECD. And Laurence, typically I'd come straight to you on a forecast, a call for US growth, for Europe, etc. I want to come to you on a number you guys have put out this morning. Vaccinations are key for the recovery. They would only cost $50 billion. $50 billion in the context of how much we've spent over the last 18 months is nothing. How do you get there? How do you get to that number? So... So the way we um, get to, to, to that number, sorry about this. Um, basically, you know, the 50 billion is what's been estimating by COVAX and all the related institution. Um, the 10 trillion is actually what the G20 has been providing into fiscal support to their economy, to people, to firms, to jobs. So when, when you balance things out, 10 trillion uh, for supporting our economy going through the pandemic, you know, compared with the 50 tiny 50 billion to bring the vaccine to the entire world population that looks completely disproportionate. Well, right now we're dealing with the Omicron variant, the idea that Africa has an incredibly low vaccination rate. Have you heard from member nations that they are accelerating, doubling down some of their aid to try to distribute uh, vaccines in Africa and in other places that are really underserved? So yeah, what our health department here at the OECD and, and the trade department notice that it's very difficult to bring it to Africa. As you say, it's where the rate of vaccination is very low. There's a huge logistic questions, right? Bringing not only uh, the vaccine, but being able to keep it at the right temperature and then distribute it around. Um, so that, that's where I think a lot of the effort now has, has to focus on. But not only, if we go back to the OECD, um, and that's what we showed um, this morning, even within OECD countries and advanced economies, some countries have very low vaccination rate. And, and that's an issue because as we've seen, for example, in some of the Eastern European countries, um, they, they just had led them to put in place restrictions to mobility and economic activity again. So really, you know, expanding vaccination, making sure people get double or triple vaxxed is key to a sustained recovery. In the meantime, Laurence, there is a problem when we talk about the hiking cycle for the Federal Reserve, when we talk about the Bank of England going to a similar type of mode, at the same time that you are seeing the potential for additional variants to slow the economy, what's the risk that we get a slowdown in economic growth at the same time as surging inflation and central banks being forced to tighten into that? Um, so 
look, there's lots of uncertainty, um, and there is no question that its new variant uh, is adding to this uncertainty. Now, one of the things we're very clear about is there's no one-size-fits-all policy. The inflation in the U.S. is very different from the inflation you may see in Asia, for example, in China or India. And it's, again, very different from the one you see in continental Europe or in the U.K. Um, and for that reason, we have a very clear message. If inflation tensions mostly come from the supply side, then central banks should look through. When you have a lot of momentum in the recovery, excess demand, unemployment back where it was, then, yeah, normalizing you know, monetary policy is not something that's extraordinary mm. and should be done. Lawrence Tomkin, and good morning to you on radio and television. Lawrence Boone with us with the OECD as they reassess the global economy. We'll do that again with key economic data today, including ADP. Lawrence, I did a very careful study of John Byrne Murdoch's magnificent work at the FT on cases and particularly deaths from COVID. The vector, the trend called the log vector of Germany, Austria, and Switzerland is nothing short of grim. Can OECD ECD extrapolate out the trends that we see in deaths from COVID, or do you sit back and wait for more data? Uh, look, uh, good morning to you, and thanks for the invitation again. Um, at the OECD, you know, we're economists, so what we do is we take into account the uncertainty that has increased uh, with, the, with the emergence of the new variant. We take into account the uncertainty that has increased because Delta is developing faster in countries where there's less vaccination, and we factor that in. But I think that's, that's the best we can do. Again, we've warned about the uncertainty that was coming from the lack of vaccination We've warned about the threat that this total imbalance between countries very vaccinated and those where uh, they are just mildly or, or where the vaccines has not gone yet was creating. And the risk that's creating this, what's happening now is, is just a reminder that we need to find this 50 billion, you know, that, that, uh, that will help us end all these imbalances and, and the stress that the virus is creating on the global economy. Lawrence, always good to hear from you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Lawrence Byrne there of the OECD. We're staggering here on Bloomberg Surveillance and particularly with our aviation coverage from story to story. Guy Johnson has led our coverage on airlines, on jets, on the transatlantic, on the global, and joins us now. And Guy, I do understand that with our wonderful guests, the key question is the new Manchester United and how they'll do with Arsenal this weekend. But other than that, it's getting the planes in the air. Tom, I think that's going to be a critical question for Shai Weiss. Yeah, let, we, can, we can start on the football. I, Arsenal, Manchester United, that's what Tom wants to know about. Are we live? Yeah. <laughs> Arsenal, of course. Okay. We have an answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, let's talk about what else is going on now that we've, we've cleared that one up. Absolutely. Um, Omicron. Hard yeah. to say. What impact is it having on the business? Well, I'm just reminded that we met 23 days ago outside yeah. of uh, Terminal 3 at Heathrow for a historic day of opening up the um, corridor between the UK and the US, joint synchronized takeoff. Yeah. And here we are 23 days later and we have a new variant. 
Um, I think it's early days on this one. My intuition tells me that it is probably more transmissible, maybe not as severe, just based on the patterns. This just didn't emerge four or five days ago. It probably emerged a few weeks ago, possibly in October. Um, we've changed, adapted. Of course, South Africa is shut down, although there is a flight right now in the air from South Africa back to the UK with people needing to quarantine. So we'll, we'll deal with it. You know, this industry has shown resiliency and so are we. The governments have reacted much more quickly this time. A, has that surprised you? B, is that the right or wrong thing to do? It hasn't surprised me, and I think it's the wrong thing to do, uh, in the sense that travel is so omnipresent in our lives, and if you can, you know, kind of put a combination of politics and pandemic, airlines is the easy target for changing of signals to the public. So I wasn't surprised. I think we should evaluate the situation quickly. And what I'm telling my team and telling the government in the UK is as quickly as you introduce those measures, if things turn out that they are not as significant, take them back immediately as well. Testing, opening of borders, removal of, uh, of red list countries. Do you, do you worry at all that the North Atlantic may be shut down again? I am not that concerned about that based on the comments that President Biden made a few days ago, which in my mind were the most calm of the political leaders out there. Let's look at the information. This should be data driven. And then we make the calls and travel is not the way to stop a pandemic. This variant is now everywhere in the world. Everybody understands that. So shutting borders hurts thousands and millions of people. Uh, of course, over the festive period, but businesses and GDP is reliant on it, and we need every single uh, piece of help that we can get, and travel enables that. What has, what has the North Atlantic looked like since November the 8th? Um, what kind of load factors have you been experiencing? What does pricing look like? What does pricing look like around the holidays? Has business travel, just give me a kind of a data dump as to kind of what it has looked like since then. And I will try and be organized in my uh, comments on the data dump. Um, so first, post the 8th, tremendous bookings across the Atlantic. Um, and we've seen load factors building very nicely close in, in December. Uh, and we will probably be still flying anywhere between 60 to 70% load factors on the week post the 8th, you couldn't get a seat on a Virgin Atlantic from London to the US. The variant has changed this a bit, but I think we're neutral in the December period. So uh, new bookings are offsetting cancellations, and there have been cancellations. Of course, people want to do that. But for Easter and, um, and the summer, we're still building momentum and still building load factors. Um, and if you look at the expected January load factor, it's trailing quite nicely, anywhere in the 60 to 70%, some flights up to 80%. So overall, I would say very good response to the opening of the borders. The um, Omicron, of course, a dampening effect, but not enough as a long-haul carrier focused across the Atlantic, neutral at this point. What are the state of the finance? What, the what is the state of your finances at the moment? If I can spit that out, um, there is a suggestion that maybe you're in talks again with the shareholders to raise some more money. Can you confirm or deny that? Are you comfortable in terms of where you are with with the balance sheet right now? There was talk of an IPO. I, I, you haven't. You've never confirmed that to me. 
Is, is, is there still talk of an IPO? Is that a discussion that is happening? So first of all, I'll start with the important thing. We were trailing ahead of our plans by a significant margin leading up to the month of November and December. So we have a cushion. Any airline executive is thinking about their capital structure and raising capital. We are never short of needing more capital. All options remain on the table and we are exploring them um, robustly, but I am very confident that Virgin Atlantic will have a very good balance sheet going into the recovery phase that really starts in December and on to the summer of 2022. Arsenal by how many? Versus Manchester United? Yeah. I'm going for a win 2-1. 2-1. A surprise Peake. win. Surprise win, 2-1, Arsenal over Manchester United. Shai Weiss, the CEO of Virgin Atlantic, has spoken, Tom. Back to you. Guy Johnson, thanks so much. Of course, man, you with so much change going on uh, right now. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.